Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. All right, let's take our Bibles this morning go John chapter 2. We've been marching slowly through the book of John, just started this study, the Gospel of John chapter 2. And then, of course, we could back up to verse 11 just to get the context again, to remind you where we were just a couple weeks ago. Uh, the Lord has just begun to do miracles. He's begun His public ministry. He's chosen His disciples. He's been baptized by John the Baptist. He's faced the temptation of 40 days in the wilderness without food. And now he's beginning his public ministry. Verse 11 says, This beginning of miracles, the turning of water to wine, did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. We're going to talk about the next step, the next part of the narrative as he cleanses the temple. But I would remind you uh, that this uh, particular verse, as you can see on the screen behind me, reminds us that this is a, really, as the, as the Bible says, this is the beginning of miracles. As he starts his public ministry and he's manifesting forth his glory. In other words, he is manifesting by these miracles, these signs and wonders, as some of the gospel writers will call them. He does them to manifest, A, his compassion upon people, and B, he validates his authority and his sovereign power to be who he claims he is, and he's starting his public ministry. And it isn't very long, we could see a map behind me if I change the slide a little bit, that he goes from Cana where he was a, an attendant at this wedding, or at least a guest at this wedding where he did this miracle and turned all this water into wine to serve the guests. He moves then up to Capernaum for a minute or two, and then he uh, goes with part of his family all the way, 78 miles. Uh, now, we think in terms of getting in a car today and driving, but that's a long walk or a donkey ride in those days. And he goes all the way bound to Jerusalem. Why? Well, the text will tell us uh, all Jewish males, 20 and older, were, uh, were uh, really told to come to the the, the, the temple or tabernacle, as the case may be, to, to especially for three feast days a year. They were required to do that, and Jesus, a law abider, certainly he wrote the law, is going to fulfill this duty. He goes to the feast of the Passover, and that's where we pick up our story. And he's, um, he's coming, and it's amazing that Jesus Christ, when he gets to the temple, is... Uh, you might, I don't know what your picture of, of your Lord would be. I don't know what your, how, how you've painted uh, the picture of his personality, but it is a bit shocking to us as we follow him into the outer courtyard of the temple for the feast of Passover. The Bible says, as we look at verse number uh, 16, or back to verse 15, he made a scourge, a whip of small cords, and as he evaluated the scene, he looks around and he hears the din, the hubbub, the, the sound of almost a mall or a, a marketplace, a busy outdoor market as people are, are, are selling doves and sheep and animals for the required sacrifice at the temple. And as he walks in, the Son of God walks in uh, to the temple, he is immediately incensed 
by what seems to be a sacrilegious spirit surrounding the temple. And the Bible says he does something that we might think is out of character for the Lord. With his own hands, he fashions a whip and begins to really evacuate the whole outer court. Now, you might want to see just a picture of what Herod's temple may have looked like. So the outer court, certainly only Levites and the priesthood could go inside that smaller court, the holy place, and then even the Holy of Holies, the high priest alone went in there, that taller building in the middle. But the outer court, there were those who were charlatans and extortioners of money who would see that this population from all parts of really Palestine coming in, Israel coming in, bringing uh, perhaps not an animal needed for the required sacrifice. On the 10th of March, every Israelite was to choose a blameless, perfect, blameless, a perfect, uh, a spotless, unblemished lamb, tie it to a post near their house and Then on the 14th of the same month, they were to sacrifice it in remembrance. Remember the Passover? What are they remembering? They're remembering God's great deliverance. This was the most sacred high holy day in their calendar. And so the Jewish families would select this lamb from their flocks. And there was this affinity for it for three days or so. And then they would slaughter that lamb on the on the, on the, with, with bitter herbs, they would eat it, remembering that journey out of, out, of, out of Egypt and, of course, God's providence for them uh, into uh, the escape from Egypt. And so they were to put blood on the doorpost. And, of course, you know the story. And they're remembering this. this. This Passover celebration was in remembrance of that. In a few minutes, we will take to our lips just the symbol of God's own blood for us, the symbol uh, that they placed on the lentil, the doorpost, was a, really a picture, an illustration, a symbol and a sign of the coming sacrifice of Christ on the cross. To Jesus Christ, this Passover ceremony and festival meant something. And as he walked in, he became passionate about the fact that no one truly cared. I've entitled this uh, time in the Word, this instruction, this sermon, Refine Our Passions, Lord. I don't know what you are passionate about. I guess it changes over time, doesn't it? The Bible says in verse number 17, after he chased everyone out, the disciples remembered a messianic, really, truth written by David who also loved the temple and loved the tabernacle in his day. He says, the zeal for thine house hath eaten me up, consumed me. I don't know what you're passionate about, what moves you, what brings you joy, what moves you to tears. But our dear Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, was uh, passionate about the sacred reality of what the temple meant. We've missed you for a couple Sundays. But this place, let's just talk about this place for a minute. This place is a special place. My dad always taught us to really respect the house of God, no matter how humble it may be. He taught us to respect, to act respectably when we went to the house of God. Uh, There is a 
passion that we see in the Lord. There is a zeal that consumed him that immediately as he enters the gates, he says to himself, there's something wrong with this picture. There is a lightness, a callousness, a carelessness about what this whole place means. I know there's nothing sacred about drywall and floors and carpets and pews, but this is a reflection, isn't it? The church is a reflection of who Jesus is and His ministry, His coming ministry. I love the church. When Jesus came, immediately His face began to flush red. And you might think Jesus was meek and mild, but no, He is so moved with great passion that He begins to take action. I think of others in the Bible that were passionate about religious things, passionate about the temple, passionate about their relationship with the Lord. Daniel 9.3, I set my face to seek the Lord by prayer, by supplication, and by fasting. He, he says he even uses sackcloth and ashes. When's the last time you saw a guy come to church with sackcloth on and ashes, crying out, God, would you work in this place? I've been skipping meals, been crying, been dumping ashes on my head, crying out, God, would you do? I'm not suggesting you do that. You might scare folks around you. But uh, certainly, Daniel had a growing passion for the things of the Lord. Jeremiah 15, 16, thy words were found, and I did eat them, and they were to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. When's the last time you heard someone say, been reading the word? Yesterday it was so good, I skipped breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It had such a great impact. You've got you've to see what I've been enjoying, the food and the word. Oh, you've got to see this. The zeal the things of the Lord. It had such a great taste to me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I know there's a few of you upset about what happened to Georgia Bulldogs. I know. But it isn't the end of the world. I didn't get an amen on that. <laughs> but if your neighbor dies and goes to hell without Christ... It's the end of the world for him. Uh, Paul would say this, Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I press toward the mark of the high calling. Paul didn't say in Philippians chapter 3, I lollygag, I drag my feet, I, I, I just mess around, I, I, I'm not concerned, I play at it. No, he said, I am pressing forth. And then he would say this. We heard this phrase in Zimbabwe from the pastors in the bush there. They would turn to each other and say, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul would say that. Be followers of me. He would say also, there are some sadly who follow, Philippians 3, 18 through 19, there are many who walk. 
And I tell you this with tears, weeping, that they are enemies of the cross. Why? Verse 19 goes on. He answers the question, they mind earthly things. So let's this morning refine our passion. I asked a little boy about what he was passionate about. A little teenager, he said, well, he was a Christian boy, at least claimed to be. He said, well, I, 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 I love to watch videos. I looked it up. There's three billion gamers in the world today, whatever that means, that spend at least three hours a day playing games. And these are, these are not just kids, that adults, folks of all ages. Three billion would call themselves gamers. We love to watch stuff happen. We don't like to do stuff anymore. So it is we become the generation of those that wish to be amazed and entertained. Lord, refine our passions. What energized the Lord? What ener- Just a couple main thoughts this morning before we enjoy uh, remembering what Christ has done for us as a church. What is it that truly created this consuming zeal in him. What was he all about? What ate him up, so to speak? I um, will just share this story before we answer those questions. One of the churches we visited in Zimbabwe was a small little church that we were going to go to on a Monday. I didn't know if I were gonna, was going to preach or not. Now, they didn't tell me. I was just prepared with uh, a few lessons. And uh, so we, on the way to this church, on way back in, in the back, you're going to see in some of the pictures that we show, the roads in Zimbabwe are not, if you've been complaining about anything here in terms of traffic and roads, shame on you, because we have been in some places that are worse than the roads in Brazil. I thought they were the worst, uh, but uh, just, uh, just potholes everywhere, dirt uh, covered what once was paved roads back in the Rhodesian days, but anyway... We're just traveling for, uh, for about an hour through these rough roads, bounce, holding our teeth so they wouldn't fall out, and stopping along the way to, to, to just say hello to various pastors along the trail that led to this church that we were going to visit on a Monday afternoon. And it was a great thing. I was enjoying it. Of course, no air conditioning, and, and the, the, the roads were rugged and rough, and, but yet how sweet the pastors were that we met out there in the countryside, just loving what God has called them to do. Simple men who all they could do was make a little bit of living out of gardens in their backyard, praying for rain, and yet just rejoicing in their simple way for what God has done for them. And so we got to this church, and we were three hours late The zeal for thine house hath eaten me up. And when we got there, the pastor met us. He wasn't upset. He said, "Uh, good to see you folks. Laverne Waugh, our missionary we support, had driven us through another pastor in his pickup. And so we got there with our two vehicles. We were the only two vehicles in the parking lot, (laughs) if you can call it that. We parked under the trees and walked in. And here was a group of about 30 folks on a Monday who had walked, some of them, three hours, three hours, walked to church and then waited three or four hours for our group to get there. And they weren't mad at us. How many of you walked to church, outside of Joe and Hallie, how many of you walked to church 
How many of you would be willing to walk two blocks to church, two hours? And then once you get there, if the preacher wasn't there, how many would stay another three hours? There was a zeal there. One lady at the offering time. Now, 95% unemployment in Zimbabwe. South Africa is much more well-to-do, but Zimbabwe is destitute. And at the offering time, a lady who was seated on the floor, who was crippled, all crippled up, she couldn't even walk. But at the offering time, she got off her mat, and as best she could, she hobbled over, and she reached out and put in what little money she had. And the reason I'm impressed with this passage is that we hold the things of God rather lightly, rather carelessly. We sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, but don't make me walk very far, and if it rains, don't count me in. I was humbled by these in the bush who in a simple way loved Jesus Christ with everything. That's why I encourage mission trips, that we could see folks that have lived by this truth. There's something in us more important than anything else, the house of God, the place of worship. And then, of course, the person of worship. Jesus approached the temple with his disciples, his newly appointed, newly delegated disciples, and he does this. He fashions a whip, surprises all of them, I'm sure, and just with, with, a, with a sentence, he just clears the courtyard out. And I think about other places in the Bible that I'm surprised. You see the list on the screen behind me. What about what about? These, these different things that, that it seems to us that be almost strange. Why is it that there's such a consuming response when Uzzah, when the, when the ark of God was being moved, that he just saw it hit a pothole or whatever, and he reaches out, not being part of the Levitical crew, the Levites that were called to move, he just tries to stop it from falling over off the cart, and God's strikes him dead. You're reading that portion of Scripture, you think, Lord, what in the world? Isn't that an overreaction? Lord, isn't it an overreaction to, to build a, a whip of your own hands? Why not just post something on the wall? Hey, notice to all you vendors, move a little farther outside the wall. Go a little, just notice, would you kindly move your no, the Lord is incensed. What, what happened then when, when, when Samuel, he waited seven, excuse me, Saul waited seven days to get a dedicatory prayer before he went to battle. And finally he said, hey, we've got to pray. That's a given. So let me handle this. He offers a sacrifice there in 2 Samuel. And Saul shows up and says, you've lost your kingdom. It would have been a perennial kingdom, but you've lost it because you took the place of a priest, and that's not your place. Wow. At least he prayed, <laughs> we would think. Does God take his word and the sacredness 
of his words seriously? You think about other things. What about Moses? Have you ever, have you ever been upset with one of God's people? <laughs> have you? Have you ever been angry and reacted, even served the Lord with a spirit of anger? He struck the rock instead of speaking to it. And the Lord said to Moses, Moses, you will not go over into the promised land because you did that. Listen, we've all, we've all done all of these things in a sense. You ought to thank God for His mercy in your life and understand how, how sacred are His teachings, how sacred are His respect for the holiness of His own law, the holiness of His own house, the holiness, the sacredness of this place. I think in America, as you turn the television on, it is sad to me to see how disrespectful, how light, how casual we are about our worship of the Lord. Everything, did you know that everything, everything in that house as he walked into it, everything, everything. For 4,000 years, the Lord had been drawing pictures and painting pictures and illustrating and symbolizing by the feast days and the protocol and the design of the, the silver, the gold, everything, the tapestry, the coverings of the tabernacle, the placement of it, the, the fact that it was central to all the tribes and even the lineup of the tribes and the, the placement of the furniture and, and even in the order of service of how the priests were supposed to first of all cleanse themselves and sacrifice for themselves and then the people and the holiness of the holy place and the holy of holies, everything in those seven pieces of furniture pointed to Jesus and the cross. And at the start of his ministry, he walks into the temple that was designed intentionally to point to the coming work on the cross, and no one there understood uh, who he was. Jesus is in the house. I wonder if Christ himself, I've asked the church, we're walking in today, would you recognize him? Nobody did. Nobody pointed out and said, there he is, like John did just earlier. There he is, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. No wonder, no wonder God, the Son, became flushed in his face and began to react to those who had turned his house into what he would call in Matthew a den of thieves. Why are you here this morning? Why did you come to church? Well, pastor, it's just the thing to do. We're Christians. I hope you've come to understand that everything that we do, the book that we read called the Bible, is all about pointing to Jesus Christ and His finished work. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. You see these wonderful verses behind me about the holiness. As we approach this place, we are to be a place of people that are holy. And God calls us what? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are. And if you, in, in turn, defile that temple, as Paul told the Corinthians when they took the elements of the Lord's table in a flippant and casual and unworthy manner, he said, be careful. Some of you will get sick. And I'm telling you, some of you will be cursed with death. Because you're treating the things of God, the sacred things of the Lord, the truths of His Scripture about Him 
in an unworthy, a careless, or flippant matter. Uh, not only is the physical place of worship holy, dedicated, we are too. Christ dwells in you. So, what does your courtyard look like? You say, oh, pastor, I'm guarding the holy of holies. My heart's right. What does the courtyard look like? What are you allowing in your life? Is Christ pleased with that? The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Have you any thought this week, this day, as you approach this place about how precious it is to have a church like this? How precious it is to have a God like we have? Well, we need to refine our passions about the person we worship. If Christ came to church today, would you know who He was? Would you fall down your face and worship? There should have been a holy hush as the Son of God entered the doors of the outer court. There should have been everyone falling on their faces before that one who was the coming sacrifice for their sins. As the outer court emptied, the dust settled, the noise of animals were silenced. There was this trigger in the memory we see in our text today. The trigger came from Psalm 69.9. The disciples remembered when they looked at their new master, their Lord. It's written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. What do you talk about? What do you love? What do you long for? What do you think about? What do you dream about? My, um, my dream last night, and I'm not going to take a big rabbit trail here, but I dreamed that I was playing cricket. You know what that is? Some of you don't even know. That's a sport that they play over there. And I, 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 I nudge my wife and say, I, I've been somewhere else. <laughs> my dreams, I've never played the game in my life, but I guess over there in Britain land, they play cricket. And I said, you know what? Even my dreams have been affected by where my mind has been and who I've been talking to and uh, the sports folks there in South Africa are all consumed with the game of cricket. It is a game that they play. They're good at it. But you know, we are consumed by what we think about. What is it that's flowing through your mind right now? Can't wait for, can't wait for lunch. Casseroles in the oven, preacher, hurry it up. Or I, I just can't believe that Georgia lost. Or I can't, I just, everything that you cons, are consumed with really can be claimed to be the idol or the love of your life. Make sure that Christ is preeminent in all your thoughts. The zeal of thine house, the greatest zeal, consuming passion was that he would be recognized as the true temple, the true lamb, the true sacrifice, the true Messiah, the object of glory and honor standing there. No one knew who he was. And what an indictment it is as he is asked by those who were chased outside the perimeter. They came back kind of looking to ask him, why did you do that? No one has ever done that. <laughs> what permission do you have, sir, to empty this temple of those that are just trying to make a living, quote unquote? No. Jesus answers the question, verse 19, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, in three days I will raise it up. 
You see what's on his mind, don't you? His coming sacrifice. It's the Passover. And in three years, in three, just three years, on the same day uh, that the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed, they would raise up the lamb of God and nail him to a cross. He says, the Jews respond, verse 20, 40 and six years was this temple in building Wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his own body. When therefore, and this is a glance ahead, verse 22, when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed. Twice we see that phrase, they remembered. When he cleared the temple, they remembered. The zeal of thy house hath eaten me up. What is eating you up today? What is it that you're most concerned about? What is it that consumes your thoughts? Is it Jesus? And then, here's the indictment to all of us. Verse 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name. Now hold, hold your horses. What has this meant? Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Well, they're true believers, aren't they? But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that, they, that any should testify of men, for he knew what was in man. He knew what was in their hearts. Many come to church for many different reasons. Perhaps you're here today. You're here because somebody invited you, or you're here because you ought to, to make somebody happy, or you're here because of this or that, or... It's a religious feel-good session for you, or you just sense that maybe you're curious about things, and you're a curious onlooker, and Jesus is asking, will you, will you understand that I'm the reason there is a temple? Everything in that building, that structure points to me. It's a sacred place. It's a holy program. It's a holy enterprise, and I set it up so that you would see and know and recognize and worship me. It's a, just a step away for all of us to remove ourselves from true worship to idolatry. You say, well, I don't, I don't have any stone idols. I don't have any wooden idols. No, but we can replace God, can't we, by our passions and what consumes us. May it be Jesus Christ, the true Lamb, the true Messiah. And so God had every right to be righteously angered because He was neglected. He was not known, not appreciated, and not worshipped. Ask yourself, what do you talk about on the way to church? Ask yourself, how much uh, you put money over prayer? Ask yourself, what are you most investing in? Ask yourself why you claim to be zealous about church but are so easily distracted from attendance. Ask yourself why you pray. Ask yourself, when's the last time you came to church and simply prayed what Moses prayed? Lord, show me. Show me thy glory. Enough with the trappings, enough with trying to impress my neighbor, enough, enough with trying to get God on my team, but Lord, just impress me with who you are. 
and help me to worship you for who you are. He, Jesus, did not commit himself to those who were playing games because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of men, for he knew what was in man. Jesus came to be the Savior, the Lamb of God, the Savior for our sins. And when we come to church, we are to respect not just the place, but the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, refine our passions. Father, we pray now that as we approach this table that's so precious, reminds us of your great grace in our lives, we pray, Lord, that you would give us again uh, in our mind's eye a new appreciation, a fresh appreciation for why we gather. It's not about us. It's not about our name. It's about your name. It's about your work and it's about your love for the lost and your desire to edify the saints. And so I pray for our church and the churches around us. I do. And then I pray for those that we cannot see, far-flung places. I pray that all of us would commit ourselves to the worship of the true Son of God, the Messiah sent for our sins. Lord, I pray that as we enjoy this table together today, that you would purify our hearts and our motives, purify our worship, so that you would be pleased in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask the men to come and join me here. And as they're coming, uh, I just want to say that it's good to know that he, as John pointed out, was the Lamb or is the Lamb of God. I instructed some of the small churches there. Now, there are no lambs in, uh, to my knowledge, many lambs in Zimbabwe. It's just too hot. And so they wondered, why is he the Lamb of God? You know, a lamb, God calls us a lamb. Uh, lambs are defenseless. They're often senseless, easily led astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. A lamb can't defend itself. It needs a shepherd, right? It doesn't have quills like a porcupine. It doesn't have a roar like a lion. It doesn't have strength like a bear. A lamb is defenseless. It needs to be led. And when Jesus came, he was the great shepherd, but he was more than that. He was the lamb of God. If you're here this morning and you've uh, enjoyed coming to a place where you've experienced the fact that you know for sure that you're part of the family of God, the blood of Jesus Christ has atoned for your sin, you've received Him as your Lord and Savior, and you know that, you've been faithful to follow Him in believer's baptism, I invite you to partake with us, especially if your heart is clean. Paul warned, Paul warned the Corinthian church, and through them all of us, not to come to this table unworthily, callously, carelessly, but to come with great caution and respect for what he's done. High price was paid for your redemption. So if that's been your testimony, you're keeping a short account with the Lord, you've asked for forgiveness for known sins, then enjoy remembering with us today what God has done for us. I'm going to pray thanking the Lord for His... Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you.